The Mets were off last night, so let's play a little I Just Blew Your Mind off the top here. Barry Manilow, who famously sang I Write the Songs, did not in fact write that song. Boom. Just blew your mind. The guy who invented traffic circles never learned how to drive. Boom. I did it again. Just blew your mind. It is in this spirit that I have a couple of Mets morsels for you to digest and a really thoughtful interview with a really thoughtful pitching coach. Isn't that worth 21 minutes of your day? Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh, yeah. Mets in the morning. Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing while coffee is brewing now. Here's Josh Lewin. Scootily down. No Mets game yesterday, and maybe that's just as well. They're in this annoying habit lately of losing, having fallen to six games under 500 and clear out of the playoff race. So, a day to enjoy the lovely old-school German architecture of Milwaukee. Go see the statue of Arthur Fonzarelli, which really is a thing. Maybe grab some Schnitzengruben at Mater's or Hofbrauss. I don't know how everyone in Milwaukee doesn't weigh 500 pounds. Some do. Most don't. Josh Lewin with you, and chew on this, fellow Mets fan. There are some shiny trinkets buried in the rubble of this limp towards the finish line here. Let's start with Javi Baez, who is part of a big pile of big-time shortstops looking for a mega deal this offseason. Carlos Correa, Trevor Story, Corey Seager, Marcus Semien will join him. But since joining the Mets, Javi's been ridiculously productive. He's hitting 307, 939 OPS in his 39 games. His OPS the last two and a half weeks is third in the majors behind only Bryce Harper and Juan Soto, a former and current Nationals right fielder. How about Pete Alonso, who's extended his road hitting streak to 17? He's hitting 370 with seven home runs, 17 RBIs in that time, 1308 OPS. The franchise record for a road hitting streak, Jose Reyes had a 24. Now there's only six road games left this year, so the best Pete can get to is 23 if all goes well. And how about Lindor? Solid September, came back from that strained right oblique, and overall now the OPS is around 730. That's basically average for all Major League players. And I know we were expecting better than a C grade, but at least it's no longer a D-. minus. Here's the crazy thing. I I didn't hate what the Mets did at the trade deadline at all. Baez ended up being a hell of a piece. Trevor Williams has been handy as well. But here is the ultimate I just blew your mind. Since the trade deadline... The only team that's had their playoff odds drop more precipitously than the New York Metropolitans is the Padres. The Cardinals are at the other extreme. They were at a 3% chance to make the playoffs on July 30. Now they're at 94%. That's a gain of 91%. The Mets had a 71.3% chance at the trade deadline. And now, even with Baez being the third best hitter in the majors the last three weeks, they're at 0.3%. So they lost 71%, just like the Padres did. The A's dropped 49%, and they got Starling Marte, who's been great. Basically, the Cardinals, Rays, Jays, and Braves all got better at the deadline. The Padres, Reds, A's, and Mets got worse. None of that is the fault of the pitching coach. Let's get to that. Jeremy Hefner, a one-time Mets swingman, former Twins pitching coach, was imported this year, and he's had to try and spin gold out of recycled magazines and cardboard and whatnot. Here, for your pleasure, some very deep thoughts with a native Oklahoman, Jeremy Scott Hefner. 
Jeremy Hefner is with us wearing orange, and it's because he's employed by the Mets. But uh, for those that don't know, this is an Oklahoma State, uh, well, and Oklahoma guy, I would think, yeah. growing up. You we went to Oral Roberts, but were you a, a cowboy or a Sooner? Yeah, uh, I was a cowboy. That's what I thought. Okay. Through and through. Okay, because I, I didn't <laughs> want to misspeak here with you wearing the orange. Why Oral Roberts? I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a school that uh, a lot of people in New York probably don't even know what it's all about. But you had a choice, I'm sure, to go to a variety of places because you were really good at sports. Why did you end up at ORU? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I went to junior college for two years before that. Um, so coming out of high school, I was, I was drafted by the Mets. And I, didn't sign. I Come did, on. I did not sign. Um, and I... Uh, I was a little underdeveloped, and I didn't have a junior college offer, much less a Division One offer out of wow. high school. Then ended up, you know, sending some papers out, going to junior college, and um, really developed there at Seminole State, and um, started throwing a little bit harder and those types of things. And uh, after my sophomore year, you know, all the letters start coming in to, you know, go to Division One, and you know, OSU and OU and ORU and TCU and Kentucky, and you have all these teams, and it's really hard to decide. Um, but what sold me was the the coach, the head coach. His name's Rob Walton, and um, Rob uh, painted a picture for me of what I could be, not who I was, but but what I could be with his uh, tools and what he had to offer, and that was very intriguing to me. Um, and ORU is very close to home, and is a really good education. It's a very good business school, and um, it's a smaller school. So I felt like if if I went to an Arkansas or an OSU, an OU, and I and I was already like underdeveloped, I would have had to make huge strides to even get sure. on the field right um so i knew if like even if i made like a sliver of developmental gains um that i would be able to pitch a lot and that that's all i wanted to do i didn't i didn't really care so much about going to a big school it was more or less like um going somewhere where i could play and get a good education and were you losing your damn mind i'm sorry about damn since you went to oral roberts <laughs> but uh when in the college basketball tournament this march you talk about realizing your potential here's this little guy on the court averaging 26 27 points a game. Here's ORU making a mad dash right through the Sweet 16. How cool was that? It's so cool. It's so cool. I was so happy for those guys. And um, we actually got to take my son, uh, my son, or my daughter's son to a few games oh, and yeah. be a part of all of that and stuff. So it was it was really neat to to uh, have that connection, um, even though I wasn't there, but all, but just watching the game and, and having that sense of pride that, you know, I went to ORU and um, they were doing so well. And they, they did the little things right. And yeah, they, right. they played really good. They shot the ball really well. And um, it was fun to watch them play defense. And I was, I was proud to be an Eagle at that moment. So I want to go back because you mentioned Coach Walton, and that's really what got you to ORU in the first place and some of the things you said about him kind of mining the confidence that and, and getting the best out of you now you're a coach and that is essentially your job yep. do, do you think about that i mean were the seeds for that planted that early every day every day every day i think about uh every, we call him rob we didn't call him coach walton okay. but um every day i think about rob and what the the values he insisted in me uh on the field off the field um how he thought how he talked to me about pitching and the mental side of pitching and and holding run, just the nuance of the game and pitch grips and intent and mechanics and throwing programs and bullpens like he is a huge part of of what I do and who I am and um, I owe a lot to him 
And the, the ability that you've had both as a coach and a player and just as a human being, Jeremy, to, to have what I would call grace, uh, not only under pressure, but just in a general sense. I, I always remember, and I hate to bring this up, but the, <laughs> the game against the Phillies when you were pitching for the Mets and, and you didn't get anybody out, you gave up, well, maybe more than one or two runs in, in that game. And you met the media with such a plum and, and such kindness and in such a courteous bent. Uh, I mean... I'm sure you probably threw things at some point after an outing like that, but where does that come from to be able to just meet a challenge and meet a disappointment with grace? Yeah, I think I think it goes back to the way my parents raised me and, and, and also like my high school coaches and my little league coaches. And I was blessed. I've been blessed with, with um, really just strong individuals around me my entire life. Um, a bit of a parachute. Um, when I did mess up, they met me with grace. And so I, I'm just modeling the people that um, have instilled those values um, um, from a, from a young age, and and uh, yeah, I, I I didn't get an out in that game if I if I remember correctly. But going back to Rob, uh, my first outing in Division One was in Baylor, and I had a similar outing. Where really, oh, I, I gave up that. a bunch of stuff, and I ended up going into under the tunnel and throwing a bunch of things, and and Rob came under me and and set me down gently and talked to me about like struggles and um, how to. It's not. Don't, everyone's going to go through struggles. It's how you respond to that, how you respond to the struggle. So meeting the media with grace or having a good outing and still meeting the media with grace, like all those things, like it's it's always like trying to play the, the middle game, right? Like it's a roller coaster, like baseball's a roller coaster. You're going to have super highs and super lows. Um, but if you can stay close to the middle, then the it just makes it more enjoyable. Like right. it makes it enjoyable to come to work. And, um, and so that's how I try to live my life and then try to help, help our guys when they do go through struggles, like knock them down a little bit when they're going very, very well, or when they're, when they're going through struggles, lift them up, be yes, positive. Right. And when they're, when they're going, um, high, you knock them down and keep them in the middle so that those, the, the, the lows aren't quite as low and the highs aren't quite as high was talking with Dave Jouse uh, just a little bit ago, and we were talking about Clint Hurdle, mm. uh, who to me is just like a, the prince of positivity, yeah. right? You know, And his old line about, I can either be a coach or a couch, mm. whatever you, you need. Mm. And I'm wondering which of those two things actually excites you more. When, when a guy, and I won't name names, but there's guys right now that are, that are struggling, and I'm sure you have to kind of put on that psychiatrist hat and be there in that way. Then there's other times where you, you see a mechanical flaw and you get in there and you get under the hood like a mechanic. So those are two very different skill sets. Is there one that you've developed better than the other or do you like one better than the other? Man, that's a great question, Josh. Um, I love both equally, but I think um, at times the couch position um, bears more fruit. Okay. Um, so like in terms of growth and curiosity and um, when guys are going through a bit of a tough stretch, being there with them um, fills my heart. I don't want to see them struggle, but like it fills me with, with joy whenever I can have a, a tough conversation with a guy, um, not in an accountability way, but just in a, you know, just in a friendship way um, uh, where I can be there for him in the midst of like, you know, have 40,000 people booing them and we can have a, you know, a really good conversation about you're a really good pitcher. And like this 10 minutes of time doesn't define 
who you are. Like it's it's the the other twenty four hours or the other twenty three hours and fifty minutes of the day. Like that that also defines you. Not yeah. just this ten minutes, this moment in time. Like and like the beauty of baseball is we get to go do it tomorrow. That's right. Right. And so we get to turn the page, and you get you get to 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 prove that you are nasty and that you are the best and that you are good. Um, and so like I do. I do enjoy the development and the skill acquisition piece of coaching, but the, the couch piece is, um, it's something I'm learning. I'm not the most experienced guy. I'm 35 years old. This is my second year, you know, coaching the big leagues. Um, so I still have a ton to learn, but like, that's where I've learned the most is up on the coach, on the couch side of things. Not so much the coach. Was a guy like Dan Worthen uh, a good example of that combo platter? Cause I know you got to work with him and, and who are some of the other guys that, that you learned that? Yeah. From? Rob's really good at that. Um, uh, Dan was great. Dan kept it neutral a lot. Um, when things were going bad, um, he was there. When things were going good, he was there. He was, always had ideas. Um, he was a good one. Um, you know, I've, I've learned from guys like Brent Strom and Wes Johnson and, and these guys um, who who have kind of changed the way pitching is um, done now um, on the coach side. Um, and so, like, yeah, I mean, it's it's constant and evolving, and I just, I'm glad I get to be a part of it, and I'm glad I get to be a part of this moment in, in pitching history. Um, yeah. And I hope that, I hope that we, I can look back in 100 years or Mets fans can, baseball fans can look back in 100 years and be like, oh, this is a really cool time. Even though, like, you know, the game's evolved and changed a bit, hopefully we can look back and like, hey, that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. So uh, I wasn't really even planning on asking you anything uh, this inside on baseball, but wh- where do you think it's going in terms of, you know, what pitchers are going to have to get used to, or uh, whether it's robot umps or, I mean, you know, who knows what else is going to come down sure. the pike. But as, as everything evolves now, I mean, first it was launch angle and next year it'll be something else. Uh, is that part of your paradigm too, like always being on the lookout to kind of uh, just let the guys know, hey, I know you're not worried about this yet, but you might want to think about it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Baseball's cyclical, right? Like, it, it goes in cycles. Um, during the steroid era, there was lots of home runs and um, balls were leaving the park at an extreme rate, so they started, you know, velo was the most important because velo uh, misses more bats, and so then there was this huge push to throw harder. Now we're getting to, like, uh, they're catching up to velo, but they can't hit breaking balls, so now we're just going to spin spin it to death. Right. Um, <laughs> and and they're getting, maybe they're getting back on top of the four-seamer now, and so maybe maybe we'll go back to the sinkers. Like, the, the zone may change back. It used to be an east-west zone, now right. it's more north-south um maybe it'll go back to more of an east-west zone so like always just in everything like learning just watching the game just like it always has been done we just like we've always kept track of things we've always kept track of numbers and thought about the game this is a numbers game um we just have more of them now and that can be daunting at times especially for the players and so hopefully um hopefully we're getting past some of that and and we can appreciate the beauty of the game and, and the way it's played now and because it's not going to change back you know what i mean like just the way the game's played now unless they change the rules right sure um it's not going to change back to the way it was so hopefully hopefully we can start to really appreciate the the, the way the, the hitters have been able to acquire skills the way the pitchers have been able to acquire skills and um and and you know enjoy it 
I have two more questions for you. One is baseball-related, and I apologize because oh, okay. I told you it would not be like that. But uh, Jacob deGrom, small-town guy. Mm-hmm. Jeremy Hefner, small-town guy. Yeah. I haven't looked, looked it up if Perkins, Oklahoma is bigger lot. or less than, than where Jacob is from. But less. Okay, thank you. You yep. looked it up. Yep. So I, that kinship, because you guys seem to get along brilliantly. Obviously, you were still playing when he was coming up, and you know, so your, your paths crossed. But what's it been like to mine the mind of Jacob DeGrom? That's a tough mind to, to get into. Um, no, Jake's, Jake's great. He's always been open and willing to, to share his thought processes and ideas. I think the beauty of Jake is he is simple. You know, his walkout song um, fits him very well. Um, and, and as complicated as I am and complicated as I like to be and my thought process and making sure I have all the angles covered, that's what I've learned the most from Jake is to keep it simple and to not, not overcook things and, you know, a good fastball down and away is still a really good pitch. And, um, you know, pitching to strengths and being who you are and true to yourself is, is a good thing. And that, that's why I've learned the most from Jake. And, and it is a, is a reason why some of our guys have taken steps forward is, is has a lot to do with that. All right, so now we end with what I promised would be uh, a lot of talk about Perkins, Oklahoma, <laughs> because that's a place I've never been. I uh, lived reasonably close to that for a while in Dallas, but uh, give the New Yorkers a sense of Perkins, Oklahoma, if you'd be so kind. Sure. Uh, so Perkins, um, it's a town of about 2,000 people. Um, it may have grown. I haven't looked it up now, but it may, it may have grown a little bit. Um, so we Somebody did, have twins? <laughs> so we did not... <laughs> We did not get our first stoplight until 2005-ish. We had two, it was a two stops, two uh, two four-way stop town for a while. Um, It is a a farming community. And I actually went to Perkins Tryon High School. So it was two towns combined into one to to make one high school. Tryon is actually a lot smaller than Perkins, believe it or not. Um, Yeah, those guys. Right? It's a town of a lot of really, really good people and quality people, um, mostly farming um, or oil. a lot of lot of what makes up the the, the commerce there. I love it. Uh, I, I have not found it yet on any travel guide that, that I've browsed through. But it's uh, the home of Pistol Pete. So Pistol Pete's the uh, mascot for Oklahoma State. It was that was an actual person. Well, I didn't even know that. Yeah. So you taught me something. Yeah, not so. not Pete Maravich, Pistol no, Pete. No, no, not Pistol Pete. So that, Pistol, the, the Yosemite mascot. Sam looking guy. Yes, who, yeah, yes. Right, so okay. his hometown uh, is Perkins. Well, I like. I think his name. We may have to edit this part, but I think his name's Frank Eaton. I think his, his actual name's Frank Eaton. I'm happy to look it up, but, but whatever he is, he's second to Jeremy Hefner. Let's get, let's get that right. Thank there you, buddy. Go. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Big thanks to a guy who's had a big job to do this year, and his Chargers will start a series tonight against the soon-to-be NL Central champion Brewers. They're the only franchise to have played in four different divisions. Think about it. They were AL West as the Seattle Pilots. They moved to Milwaukee, went to the AL East. Switched to the AL Central, then moved to the NL Central, which was way back in 1998. Sausage race is afoot. Claim your wiener. Will it be bratwurst, Polish, Italian, hot dog, or chorizo? The Mets tonight will have to face Corbin Burns, who will not win the Cy Young, but will come close. 1982, the last time these guys had a Cy Young winner, Pete Vukovic, who followed Raleigh Fingers, who'd won it the year before. So after back-to-back Cy Youngs, nothing on that front for 40 years. You can make a case for Burns. He's not going to win it. Uh, He will finish, I think, behind Bueller and Scherzer. But this is a guy with five-plus pitches. Uh, Everything plays off his cutter. He's really good. 
How about a Brewers manager of the year? There is a case for Craig Council. Very likable guy who as a player once survived an 0-for-45 slump. Although we should say 27 of those at-bats were cold off the bench as a pinch hitter. So this is a two-month mother-of-all slumps. And unwittingly became just the second player ever to have it that bad for that long. Never did a single to right off the Astros and Ariel Del Rosario. Feels so good. But you know that entire time... You never heard a Brewer fan boo him. 0 for 45. Well, he's from Milwaukee. He's a stand-up guy. They gave him a total pass. Council was born in 1970, the same year the Brewers were born. And technically, he was born in South Bend, Indiana. Went to Notre Dame. But actually grew up in Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin. Suburban Milwaukee. Because his dad was, of all things, director of the Brewers Speakers Bureau. Anytime the Kiwanis Club wanted Jim Gantner to come make a speech or... The Rotarians wanted Jerry Augustine for something. It was Council's dad that put that together. One more uh, non-on-field Brewer luminary of note we got to shout out is Bob Euchre. We'll do a little bit more on the great Bob Euchre when we come back on Monday's podcast. But Mr. Baseball, uh, his broadcasting career is about to end. His playing career ended this way in 1968. I'll tell you this one, seriously. He had played the year before in Atlanta. And there was a Honda dealer who had a promotion going. Any player who hit a home run at the ballpark during the last September homestand got a Honda. Cleet Boyer hit one the last day of the season. And just before spring training, invited Euchre over to drive it. So, naturally, Euchre, driving in bare feet, mind you, hits the gas instead of the brake at one point, flips the car up over a curb. He slashes his feet, breaks his right arm, goes to spring training, can't play, and, and that was it. But a broadcasting career was born, and, and we'll get into all that on the podcast on the other side of the weekend. We will be back on Monday with a recap. Happy to do that. And in the meantime, uh, I guess it's time to meet the band, right? I mean, we do that every single broadcast. Why stop now? Just because we're, we're heading into a weekend. We should have some fun and, and meet the band. On keyboards, it's pitcher Blaine Beatty. The horn section, I'm skipping around a little bit here, is Skip Lockwood. Slapping to bass, it's Ty Wigginton. And on drums, oh, he's so good, Frankie Francisco. This is Josh Lewin. Do have yourself a wonderful weekend, and we'll see how the Mets did against the Brewers. Tell you all about it on Monday. Peace out. Peace out.